It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Glad to report, fighting fit, I'm back. I'm still on an antibiotic. I have about a day or two left to take the the antibiotic, but feeling so much better than I did at the start of the week. It was actually last weekend, this day last week, flying form, finished off the show. Everything was great. I had a busy uh, Saturday because uh, my son, my wonderful, gorgeous son, had a special birthday on Sunday and there had been so many different plans in place for his special birthday that obviously, because of rising Covid figures kept getting cancelled and getting changed and trying to arrange something else and then we made the decision that no, that we wouldn't go to have, be able to have any kind of an extended family event for sure. So we asked him what would he like to do and you know, it filled my heart with joy. He said he wanted to spend some time with his mammy, which I thought was gorgeous. So we arranged for uh, David and his little family to join us for lunch on Sunday and it was just a very small, quiet affair. Got the birthday cake, we did all of that. Everything was fine. They came kind of mid-morning, left early afternoon, they were gone and I started to get a bit of a scratchy throat and you're thinking, oh, what's that? And I think I was probably doing too much chatting and, you know, interacting with the little family. I'm not used to having visitors. We've nobody to the house uh, anymore. And as the afternoon was going on, developed a cough, was coughing up awful gunk and I started to think, oh my God, am I in trouble here? And then, of course, you're really, you go into panic and you go into overdrive thinking, I've had Dave and his little family down with me for the afternoon. If, God forbid, it's COVID, they're going to be close contacts. The implication for them in the run-up to Christmas and you really start to go into overdrive with the sense of panic about it. I got onto John Paul and he, straight away on hearing my voice, said, are you okay? I said, no, I'm feeling really miserable. Tried to book a COVID test on Sunday from Monday. Not a hope of getting a COVID test in Blackpool, which would be our nearest COVID test centre. In Cork, I could have got, I think there was some vacancies in Dunmanway for Monday and I could have got vacancies in the airport. But you know, when you're feeling that miserable, the thought of going through city traffic on Monday morning to get out to the airport was the last thing I wanted to do. So I said, I'd go to bed and I'd try and uh, check again early in the morning. So I was up at 
six on Monday. Relogged on again, and lo and behold, for the test centre in Blackpool, there was a handful of tests available early now, just after eight o'clock. So I booked one of those. So I got up, got dressed went off, got Marsha organised, headed off to the test and I was actually back in Mallow by the time the doctors opened at nine on the phones to the doctor because I knew I was going to, please. I was, you know, hoping and praying it wasn't COVID, which thankfully it wasn't, but I knew I was going to need some kind of an antibiotic because my, th- my throat at that stage now had white dots on it. It was quite strep, had quite a strep throat, but the cough was, was getting worse. So I got a doctor's appointment for Monday afternoon. They're so slow now to give you any kind of an antibiotic. I was nearly on my hands and knees saying, believe me, I know I need an antibiotic. So the deal was struck that I would wait at least 24 hours before starting to take the antibiotic antibiotic, wait for the test results to come back. The results thankfully came back negative on Tuesday evening and I was able to start on the antibiotic. And again with the antibiotic, within two days of taking the antibiotic I was starting to feel better and that's how you know straight away that it isn't viral it's a bacterial infection and then you're just kind of thinking how am I picking up these viruses and these infections I'm doing all the hand hygiene I go nowhere without my mask uh, on Uh, but certainly the only thing I can think of is that the supermarkets are starting to get busier and they'll be even busier across next week as we all scramble to get in the bits and pieces that we need for Christmas we have to try and give ourselves as much space as we can when it comes to social distancing. But of course, there's no limit now anymore on the numbers that can go into supermarkets. I mean, you think back to this time last year when we were queuing outside of supermarkets. Remember, it was like some supermarkets put in the traffic light system where you had to wait for the green light to enter. Others had security people on the door counting you in, counting you out. And of course that's now gone. So the supermarkets and the shops are starting to feel a bit busier. So if that's the only place I can think of where I'm picking up these infections because I say every, I'm, I'm not going anywhere else. So I'm not out socialising. I'm not visiting people. People aren't visiting us. So it's just all. But you just get to the stage where you're sick of being sick but on the positive at least it was this week and not next week in Christmas week and, and hopefully that's it hopefully that's all of my illnesses done and dusted and I'll survive the rest of the winter period without picking up anything else and of course what everybody is trying to do is trying to avoid Omicron, which is now did I hear yesterday 27% of the COVID-19 cases now uh, are now down to the Omicron the Omicron uh, variant and of course we know the main headline story making the news today and we will be talking about it in a little bit more detail in a couple of minutes but we know that the Cabinet will be meeting today and we know they now are going to consider an early closing time for hospitality. They're also going to, it's looking like they'll be curtailing crowds at sporting events and this is the advice that was given yesterday from our public health advisors at Neffet and of course we know the HSE stepping up their preparations for this way of Omicron variant which we are now expected. expected. It's understood ministers will consider this closing time for hospitality as early as 5pm and effort are saying bring in the closure of hospitality from 5pm. They're talking about doing it 
if they go by Neffet's recommendation from next uh, Monday. Government sources said last night that the mood had darkened around prospects for the coming weeks and that major sporting events. I mean, we've got things like the Leopardstown Christmas Racing Festival, probably one of the biggest sporting events over Christmas. There's also rugby fixtures, isn't there? The Munster Leinster, all of those now hanging in the balance. Also, there's a big question mark over gigs and concerts and pantomimes. I mean, if they close all hospitality by 5pm, that'll be the pantomime out of the way, which would be really unfortunate for everybody involved in pantomime and people who are looking forward to uh, going to it. Now, obviously, the hospitality sector, they were very swift last night to react to the news of the possibility of a 5pm closing time. Restaurants Association, Adrian Cummins, I heard him. Uh, he says if the government do go with Neffert's recommendation and close all restaurants at 5pm, he said that's just a lockdown of uh, the sector. And he makes the point that no other European country is implementing anything as draconian as that, even though I did see this morning that Wales are closing all nightclubs, but effectively we've already done that. Neffert met yesterday. They finalised their recommendations. They give the recommendations to government. They say they're doing it. They want to reduce socialising before, during and after the festive period. That's what Neffet are very are pointing out. They're not they're, they're not putting any sugar coat on it. They're saying we need to stop our socialising. And if that's the way, how do we do that? We close the, the pubs and the restaurants at 5 p.m. People, it seems, will also be asked to limit any kind of social activities in the lead up to Christmas, especially if you're going to be having any kind of an intergenerational mixing at Christmas. And that's what we, the Irish, do at Christmas. We have the parents and the grandparents around at Christmas. That's the intergenerational mixing. So an effort are saying if you're planning on that, then you need to really look at where you're going and what you're doing between now and this day next week, Christmas Eve, before the visitors start to arrive on Christmas Day. Sources say that self-testing, PCR testing, that'll all be key to mitigating any spike in cases over the festive uh, period. Micheál Martin, now he uh, has been in Brussels for the last few days. So that's the EU summit that's going on. So he is due to return from Brussels sometime today. Uh, this afternoon then there will be a cabinet meeting. It's expected soon after he arrives home. It'll be straight into that cabinet uh, meeting. A tightening of rules on close contacts and the accompanying requirement to isolate. That's also expected. What I was hearing earlier today was that anyone who doesn't have their booster, if they get identified as a close contact, they will be asked to self to, to limit their to isolate and limit their movements will that mean back to the way it was for where you'd have to do it for 10 days or not I don't know we're going to have to wait and see and the prospect of tightening restrictions grew last night as the HXE accelerated their plans to give the booster vaccines to as many people as possible and they are really ramping up uh, the the pace and obviously they're worried about the highly contagious uh, Omicron variant and they reckon it's going to push record testing to the limits. Now the HSE are bringing forward plans to administer booster doses to people 40 to 49 but they're not going to start getting those jabs until after Christmas. It'll be the 27th of December before the 40 to 49 year olds can start to expect to be called to a vaccination centre. They're also saying the PCR testing they're planning on ramping that up to 300,000 a week in January and I would really love to get the message out to the powers that be that they need to reopen uh, a testing, a COVID testing centre in the North Cork area at 
one stage at the start of the pandemic, the race course in Mallow was used as for COVID uh, testing. They closed that mm, within a year, I think that was closed. But they're now funneling so many people up to the Blackpool Centre or to the one out of the airport. I really think if they're ramping up and hoping to do 300,000 tests a week in January, they need to make it as easy for people as possible to go and get their PCR tests. So I I really do think they need to open up a test centre in North Cork, perhaps Mallow uh, again, but they they just need to make it as easy as possible for people. And of course, the Minister for Health, uh, Stephen Donnelly, saying the country now facing an urgent situation with uh, Omicron spreading rapidly and he disclosed uh, figures showing the sharp increase in infections and it's been caused within just a few days of this new variant arriving and as I say up to yesterday they're now reckoning we're at 27 percent of all of the new uh, cases are the Omicron which still means that the Delta variant is still out there. Let's not forget the Delta variant because if it's at 27 percent it means close to three quarters of all the cases are still of uh, 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 Delta. And somebody already on to us who works in hospitality and obviously devastated with the news which we we have to wait for the government. I mean, Neffet make the recommendations up to the government then to decide whether they will run with it or not. And I welcome your thoughts on that. Who are you with on this one? Are Neffet right in saying close all the pubs and the restaurants and all kinds of any sort of theatres or any kind of nighttime events lock the country down from 5pm starting next Monday, which gives the week then lead in to uh, Christmas to try to put the brakes on this new uh, variant. Are, 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 are you of the opinion that this variant is already in the country? We're not going to stop it anyway. So you might as well left the bars and the restaurants and the theatres. You might as well leave them all all open until, say, half 10, 11 o'clock. Your thoughts welcomed on that. But somebody who works in hospitality and you can't help but feel sorry for people who are now waiting for Micheál Martin to make an announcement today as to whether they're going to have jobs for the next number of weeks. This person says, I work in the hospitality sector. I've been working in that sector for the last 20 years and I work evenings. Uh, I will now be off again. The hospitality sector does the majority of its business in the evening time. Well, certainly in the, in the place of work where I am working, evening time is our busiest. The government are not really thinking of the people that they want who need this to go to work. I'm really angry that this news has come out this morning. It is not really fair in the hospitality sector. Hospitality has been the industry most affected by this pandemic. Where and when is it all going to end? It doesn't make a blind bit of business if opening hotels morning or evenings. God, it is really hard on the workplaces. They now will have to tell their staff in hospitality we're closing again. No work here. I hope the government think long and hard before they make their decision this afternoon. And that's from somebody directly affected by the decision that will be made by the Cabinet today. Your thoughts welcomed. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. Greeting cards have all been sent The Christmas rushes through But I still have one wish to make A special one for you Merry Christmas, darling 
sweet song isn't it that is the Carpenters and Merry Christmas darling that was one of the things actually I did when I was off the last few days I dug out all the old Christmas uh, CDs because I know on Christmas Eve we always try to get through as many of it kind of the songs that you don't hear all of the time on the radio in the run up to Christmas but we'll try and sprinkle them throughout next week to try and get people into the Christmas uh, mood thank you to people who are sending nice thanks nice thanks to texts I can't speak anymore to welcome me back I really do appreciate that and actually thank you too when I came in yesterday to pick up uh, stuff for research for the programme uh, today there was a load of Christmas cards there uh, too many to acknowledge all of them but thank you I really do appreciate them and uh, Margaret in Castletown bear your Christmas decorations gorgeous hand knit and crocheted Christmas decorations for our Christmas tree I put them up on the Christmas tree uh, here at work Margaret thank you for, uh, for those and then somebody else sent me a lovely card and was is looking to for an address for for Katrina Toomey at Cork uh, Penny Dinners. Do you know something? I think if you wrote a card 
I was sending a donation and wrote Katrina to me Cork Penny Dinners Cork City I'm telling you the postman will, will get it to her but the, she's based at Hanover Street in Cork that's uh, Hanover Street OK some, uh, somebody else has sent in a text saying is this the right number for C103 yeah, it's the text message number that you've sent the text to so, but you are it is the right text number you just can't call that number if you're calling us it's 1850-333-103 and just to warn you that 1850 number will change because we're getting rid of those Comrick are getting rid of those uh, numbers because they they can uh, cost people out of your bundles so we'll have a new number from the start of the new uh, year closing of pubs and restaurants at five Patricia how can you close a pub at five o'clock you know what's going to happen it'll it'll just push people into starting up house parties and she beans will be back in uh, business. You're much safer in a pub uh, because there'll be nobody checking COVID certs at house parties are at she beans. And Anne says, Patricia, I think crowds at sporting events and sporting games should be hit. They're talking about that. Uh, Anne, there seems to be a lot of COVID happening at sporting fixtures. Hospitality is, are excellent at following the guidelines. If you don't have have a COVID cert, you can't even go into a cafe for a cup of tea. They are very good at checking the COVID certs so somebody is feeling safer uh, inside in a venue like that rather than at a sporting event. What about weddings? I have one on the 1st of uh, January. Weddings are going to be the big one and everyone will be waiting to see what they are going to do about weddings. As of now, I haven't heard if Neff had made any recommendations in their letter about weddings, but certainly weddings is something I would I would say to you to keep an eye on any press conference that will be given following the announcements today, because you can guarantee a lot of the journalists will have questions uh, about weddings. And on Booster, somebody says congratulations to Thornhill's Thornhill's chemist in Kildallery on their booster campaign. They're very obliging, very accommodating staff and that's from a Kilbehany listener. listener. I tell you, the, the pharmacies and the GPs are absolutely playing a blinder when it comes to the rollout of this booster and a lot particularly the pharmacies have been doing it very quietly and going about their work because when you hear of people saying I haven't had any call in from the HSC I haven't had any text to get me to go to a vaccination centre we've always been saying to people check in with your local pharmacy and see if they're doing it now they don't most of them don't do walk-ins you need to pre-book but they certainly have been getting through a steady group of people and GPs are the same and somebody else says that my doctor in Balancolic is giving out uh, boosters and he's asked me to spread the word so for people to check in with your GP as well because many, not all GPs are doing it but certainly a lot have decided to take on board and start to do the booster jab so check with your GP 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now, as we've mentioned, the Cabinet meeting today to consider the latest advice from Neffet in response to the rise in the Omicron variant of coronavirus. Neffet has expressed exceptional concern about the impact of COVID 19 and the new variant in its latest advice to government. The National Public Health Emergency Team has recommended a 5pm closing time for pubs and restaurants and they want it introduced as early as next Monday. Michael O'Donovan is Cork Chair of the Vintners Federation of Ireland and Michael joins me. Good morning Michael. Good morning Patricia. Has this come as a total shock to the industry? 
Absolutely. Look, uh, I think the last couple of days, uh, reading the mood music in Dublin and talking to politicians and even ministers, you know, they expected some, uh, I suppose, advice to come from Neffet last night. But, you know, what they were saying to us was, you know, potentially it could be 11 o'clock, maybe worst case scenario, they thought maybe 10 o'clock. We were kind of hoping in the middle of them, maybe if it was something like that. But nobody beyond their wildest dreams ever saw five o'clock on the horizon. And, you know, like uh, many of your listeners will know pubs around the city and county that don't do food, that wouldn't be open for lunch. They wouldn't open until three, four, five o'clock. I was even talking to a man a while ago. He doesn't open until seven o'clock. So, like, um, this is closure. Uh, you know, they can dress it up in any way they want. But this is closure for, for our industry because um, next week, you know, People are finishing up in, uh, for their Christmas uh, break and people might go out for lunch and they'll go for a few drinks afterwards. But that'll take, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday is Christmas Eve, family day out. OK, people might go out, go for a bite to eat, may go for one or two drinks afterwards. Um, traditionally, Christmas Eve was all about going home, meeting our family, maybe going to church and going for a few drinks to the local pub after to be close to home and then home. But, you know, that won't happen under this uh, recommendation. But once we get to past that point of Christmas Eve, you know, there's very few people going to be out during the day. Working people will be working. So, you know, if they finish work at five o'clock, you know, this is closure for us. Had you, I, I, with the way things were at the moment, and even as you say that they might, may have pushed it back to a 10 o'clock closing, had you and are you still, because we don't know what they're going to do, are you expecting a busy Christmas? Were you expecting a busy Christmas? Well, look, it, it was busy to the point that we were operating at a very, very reduced capacity. So, you know, people were still going out uh, socialising, but, you know, we were asking them for their certs, their IDs, taking their name, taking their number to contact tracing. It was in a lower number. We, it wasn't uh, as it wasn't anything like it was in 2019. You know, last year we were closed, so we've we've no reference point of that last year. But you know, like we're operating somewhere around the 60% mark of our turnover from 2019 for most uh, venues. Somewhere between 50 and 60 is the common thread that's going across everybody. So business is down by half, you could say. Um, but it, uh, it was still going to be, you know, we were going to be employing people, you know, our staff were going to be working. So it was it was generating money going into the economy. And, you know, we were happy to do that uh, and keep going. Um, but this has just come as a hammer blow, the news last night, if, if it potentially is adopted uh, at lunchtime today. Yeah, I can see we're already getting so many calls in from uh, people who, who who are against it. I have to say, I haven't seen anybody yet say that they, they feel an effort and um, where an effort is coming from, that it's the right thing uh, to do. But many people working in the hospitality sector, you know, one listener was pointing out, you know, she's worked in hospitality for the last uh, 20 years, but it's evening times because that's, you know, that's her job is is to, is to work in the evening. And yeah. even, even Dermot and Glenmire has been on uh, to say, fair enough, an effort are there to give advice but surely our government can work better with NEFA to improve our hospital services so that we don't end up with all of these restrictions are what this feels like is a mini lockdown. We understand why but this could go on for 10 years. We can't keep doing this for 10 years says Dermot yeah, and Glenmire. We've been asking and we've been saying it to the government back since I think uh, 
you know, June, July, that we have to get a plan in place uh, that we learn how to live with this and work with it because, you know, hospitality has been singled out each time uh, for, you know, closure and it's the headline acts of uh, of what's happening. So we have to get a plan together because we can't keep doing this because, um, like, I've people since last night, since this broke and early this morning phoning me, you know, like people that have leased premises, they've made agreements with landlords, you know, that if they're open, they pay their rent. If they close, the landlord is happy that the rent is is paused. But opening till five o'clock, or you know, even if it's seven o'clock, they decide you just cannot generate the turnover. And like that lady said, um, you know, jobs like this isn't that people will be cut a few hours here and there. This is people that just will not be rostered because there won't be hours there to be worked in the first place. So this will have just a, a huge uh, knock-on effect. So look, we're 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 really hoping that the government. Um, you know, take the advice on board, but maybe, you know, come up with a plan because we have to come up with something that we can't keep going back to, to closing down business because, as I said, five o'clock for us is, is, is closure in, 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 in everything. Yeah, and I think Adrian Cummins at the Restaurant Association is saying pretty much uh, the same thing. I know seemingly part of this recommendation from Leffert, they're also advocating that sporting, theatre and cultural ga- gatherings wouldn't take place after 5pm and uh, if they do, the capacity would have to be cut. But, I mean, cultural and theatres... That's your panto gone, isn't it? But if they have to close at five... Yeah, I suppose, yeah, like, I, I'll be honest, I hadn't even got around to that part of thinking about it, but uh, from, from what you're saying, yes, it sounds like uh, cultural events would be the pantomimes, theatres, yes, that they would be in the same boat closing at five o'clock. And, you know, I, I know I've spoken to one or two that are doing a, a show up in St. Peter's in the North Main Street from us at the moment, and they've done so much work, and they're doing, I think they're doing a couple of shows or something to so that they can get people in that had tickets and things like that. So, you know, it's going to be really hard for them that they've done all the work to get this uh, in place. Um, just like ourselves, putting, you know, uh, the, the, the sanitization, putting all the necessary um, paperwork in place, you know, training up staff that they know what to do, um, spending all the time and hours and doing it. And now uh, we're back to square one again, it seems. And somebody said, what's the time timeline? How long will these restrictions be in place? We don't have that kind of detail at the moment. No, the, look, the, all, all we know of today is that the sub-cabinet committee are meeting now at 12 o'clock and then after that there'll be a full cabinet meeting and uh, we uh, think that the Taoiseach will do his usual 6 o'clock uh, address on the TV to the people. But look, there, uh, after the cabinet meeting we should have a clear indication of what exactly is happening. Okay, but yeah, because it is a recommendation and we know this time last year that the government went against the Neffet recommendation but they would say that that was the wrong decision because we know what happened in January but when you look back at all of this year they have kind of stuck with what Neffet have recommended, haven't they? Yeah, since last December they've they've really, you know, stuck to it um, so, you know, we've look, I suppose at this point in time we're hopeful but I suppose the realist in us, uh, the expectation is probably that they will stick to close to what the Neffet have advised in the letter last night, uh, which will be, look, it'll be very challenging, very tough. And look, for staff especially, my heart goes out because, you know, as owners, I suppose we'll have our business, but staff, you know, this the time of year... What a, t- what a time to lose your job, uh, Christmas week. Uh, additional is, financial supports, uh, Michael, have got to be addressed. Yeah, look, um, DWSS, we fought very hard a couple of weeks ago to keep that. And look, the government, uh, I suppose, 
you know, if if I'm being honest, they've kind of broke a bit of trust because they told us that supports would be there as long as we were, and then they went and tapered it off. Uh, they saw sense, um, and they came back and they reinstated the WSS. We now hope that they will re- maintain that uh, for our staff, even if it's if we can't trade, um, because at least that way we'll be able to keep our staff that we've worked so hard to bring back into our businesses, keep them on our books, keep them employed. Um, like the government will give us. Uh, the EWSS towards their wage and I think most employee employers would be quite willing to pay the staff um, and like keep them on their books so that when we do reopen in a couple of weeks if this is short term that we can keep them um, and you know for the business then itself they'll just have to reintroduce this CRSS but at a meaningful level you know we can't just have this 10% that they had last time because uh, our energy costs have gone through the roof in the last 3-4 months so you know 10% will not meet uh, any of our um, uh, of our demands that we'll have on our businesses so if they're going to be forcing us to close you know they're going to have to support because otherwise this is the second Christmas that we're closed in effect the second December um, so like December normally takes you through January, February into the spring mm. so you know businesses just will not survive because whatever whatever they had you know in the reserve last year they went through it when we were closed well done, well, well yeah. gone. and there is no reserve you know so like people are like I'm talking to members every day you know last night I grown men on the phone to me they were in tears there was one mm. man like crying on the phone to me last night at one o'clock in the morning you know how is he going to make his bank repayments come January and February you know businesses will go to the wall this time because we just we just won't be able to survive this Okay listen you look after yourself um, Michael will speak again but thank you for that and thanks for joining us Good morning, Patricia. Thank take you. Take care. Take care. That is uh, Michael O'Donovan, who is Cork Chair of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. Christie says, Patricia, Neffitt's proposal that pubs and restaurants should close at 5pm is another detrimental hammer blow to the industry. When will this roller coaster approach of opening and closing end? Will our government go along with this or will they take control of the situation? At the end of the day, that's what they're getting paid for. If vaccinations and vaccine certs work, as we are told they would, with 95% of the population vaccinated along with a few other requirements like mask wearing, social distancing, all things we've come accustomed to. Why should everything be closed like this again? What planet are these individuals on? Do they not realise that people are only thinking of going out for the night at 5pm? Incidentally, it doesn't affect me, but I'm just making a point for those who do like to go out. Kind regards and that's from Christy to 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they Walk the walk, cmig.ie. I will get back to your comments about the proposed restrictions, but I want to move on because thousands of family members of British citizens living in Ireland have yet to apply for their post Brexit residency cards with now less than two months to go before the deadline. Joining me with details is Fiona Hurley who's Policy and Communications Manager with the Migrant and Refugee Rights uh, Centre. Good morning to you Fiona. Good morning Patricia. And you're welcome. Now firstly it's important to point out that Brexit does not impact the rights of UK citizens to live and work here but it affects their ability to sponsor family members. Can you just explain what this is all about? Yes, thank you, Patricia. It's quite, it can feel like quite a complicated area, and I think everyone's a little bit tired of Brexit at the moment. But one, prior to Brexit, UK family members, sorry, UK citizens were able to sponsor 
their non-EU citizen family members to come and live in Ireland. So to put that simply, um, a UK citizen who is married to a Canadian or an American or a Pakistani or a Bangladeshi national could apply for that person to join them in Ireland and secure residency on the basis of the UK citizen being an EU national. With the UK no longer being part of the EU, those family members' statuses are all now changing. So as of the 31st of December this year, um, they, need, they need to have an application in to change to what's called a withdrawal agreement beneficiary card. And if you were living here before December 31st, 2020, are you covered under the withdrawal agreement? You are covered under the withdrawal agreement. So people will have uh, what's called an EU FAM4 IRP card. So there'll be people possibly listening to this who are like, oh my gosh, is this me? Is my family affected? So if they go and they check their immigration residence permit, sometimes also called a GNIB card, um, they'll be able to see whether they've got an EU FAM4 stamp on that card. If they do, and if their family member is a UK national, then they will need to apply um, to exchange their card for this withdrawal agreement card. Does the Department of Justice have any idea on numbers? How many UK family members are living in Ireland? So at the start of the year, they estimated that there were about 6,000 people who would be affected by this. And we know that as of November 1st, only about 1,600 people had applied to exchange their cards. So there's there's over 4,000 people who are out there who don't necessarily even know that this is something they must do in order to secure their immigration permission after the 31st of December this year. See, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I, I I certainly was completely unaware of this and I would know listening to this programme, particularly in the West Cork area, we've got a lot of UK nationals living and working there. I, 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 I firmly believe many people are completely unaware of this. Yep, when we are deeply concerned about the lack of effort by the Department of Justice to make people aware of this. Like, I'm from West Cork myself. I know that there's a huge population of UK nationals living there and we know that a lot of them are married to people who are or have children or have parents who are not UK citizens or EU nationals themselves. Um, the Department of Justice hasn't pulled together a sustained campaign to let people know. And this is in stark contrast to other countries, you know, for example, France and Spain and Italy and Portugal, um, because UK citizens themselves were also affected. There were these huge public awareness campaigns to ensure that everyone knew what they had to do to secure their residency. We haven't seen anything similar in Ireland. And if UK nationals miss the deadline, what happens and what does that mean? So the Department of Justice have said that they're communicating with NGOs and they'll take a pragmatic response to the family members of UK nationals who miss the deadline. But we haven't received correspondence from the Department of Justice and we're one of the major NGOs who work with migrants on the on the ground. Um, you know, we work with over 1,100 migrants, refugees and asylum seekers per year. Um, and we also, you know, haven't, we have no idea what that pragmatic response means. Um, and realistically, it could mean that people could lose entitlements in the state. Um, but we actually, the Department of Justice hasn't spelled out what will happen for people. 
And the other issue is for people who are now listening to this and going, oh my gosh, I need to go check that out and I need to go and make that application online. The Department of Justice web pages on this don't function properly. So oh. it's almost impossible for someone who is sitting there to actually get the information that they need to get this application in in the next two weeks. And it's to the Department of Justice that you apply, I'm assuming? It is. There's an online application form and, you know, some of uh, you know our advocacy team has been assisting some people to make these applications and it can be a little bit of a tricky process. Um, and um, it's certainly difficult for someone who's not um, particularly comfortable using IT or computers. Mm-hmm. And we know that there are a lot of, you know, older people out there who just, you know, who don't necessarily have access to a laptop. But it's not something you can easily do on a phone. And I think that's something that we're becoming kind of more and more aware of, that we're moving to... Um, becoming very reliant on IT and that's leaving people behind. Also, as we've mentioned, West Cork, there are black spots. People don't even have broadband in some areas of of West Cork. Absolutely, absolutely. And those people won't have bought laptops. They won't have, you know, they might have a phone that has some data on it if they, you know, go to their nearest town, but it's not. um, So so for anyone listening who thinks this, uh, your talk, this is Fiona talking about me, who, who, where do you suggest they go for further information? Okay. So on our website, so naskireland.org, so it's N-A-S-C-I-R-E-L-A-N-D dot org, we have a Know Your Rights page. So you can easily navigate onto that from the homepage and there's information on there about how to get into the application process. Um, Having had a look around this morning, it's actually not really possible to find that information on the Department of Justice's webpage, um, but you can find some information through, on our own website. Go through naskireland.ie, you said, was it? .org. Dot right, dot 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 .org, org. Okay. Yeah. And Camille, tell us what beautiful part of West Cork are you from, Fiona? From Dunmanway. You're one of the Harleys from Dunmanway. I am, yes. <laughs> Will you be home for Christmas? I will. Looking will forward to it well, well done. Well done. It's a, lo- a lovely spot. Okay, listen, Fiona, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Okay, uh, thanks, thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Fiona Hurley, who is Policy and Communications Manager, one of our own from Dunmanway, and she's with the Migrant and Refugee Rights Centre. So NASC, N-A-S. See naskireland.org, please, if you think that you are, you fall under that category, that you need to apply for that. It's a post-Brexit residency card for family members of British citizens. Please get working on it. 1850 John Paul, taking your calls. You can text your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. We're going to take a break. We have news at 11 on the way. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance. Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. C103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of all time favourites from Clean Hagen to Mike Denver. Susan McCann to Derek Ryan. And Daniel O'Donnell to Nathan Carter. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. Join us Sunday mornings from 10 a.m. Irish Sunday on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
Let me give you and bring you some of the commentary that's in, including some in by email. This is email from uh, from Pat in Clam. Pat says, I know of three people who don't go out socially. The only place they go, shops and the supermarkets. They all recently contracted COVID-19. So a thousand people can go into a large supermarket, no COVID checks, and 30 or 40 people can't go into a controlled checked environment with local tra- traceability i.e. I. their local pub house parties are going to drive this wor- worse so much for living with Covid that's from Pat in Clonakilty Hi Patricia this great government need to shut pubs and restaurants and I would go so far as this is John and Carrie all indoor gatherings if they don't our health system will suffer we know what they will do the paddy needs to get locked drunk now this is John's phraseology the paddy needs to get locked drunk over Christmas and then both shirt they had a great Christmas it's what we do in this country this time last year we had 265 cases of Covid this year we've over 4,000 cases that's after three vaccines and a big wave on the way it's backwards we're going close the pubs and the off licence stop the house party that's from John and Carrigaline I think you're wrong saying Paddy needs to get locked not everybody wants to go out and get locked there will be a cohort of people but that's not just an Irish thing that happens all over the world but there are other people who will want to just go out and have a sociable few drinks, maybe a meal and that's it and, and home. So I think you're wrong in saying it's what everybody wants uh, to do. But thank you for your comment, John. Morning, Patricia. I'm absolutely amazed at the amount of English registered cars that I saw in my hometown of Clonakilty yesterday while I was in there. They shouldn't be allowed to leave the United Kingdom. A house near me is owned by UK residents and they've come over for the Christmas. They were out walking around and mixing the day after they came, came home. Where is the responsibility? What chance do we stand? What's going to come down the tracks will not be good, in my opinion, uh, thanking you. Well, yeah, those UK nationals, there's no rules stopping them going out and about after they arrive. I do know what they have to do. They have to take antigen tests. I think it's for five days after arriving and I'm, I'm hoping that they're being responsible and that they're actually doing that. But I did see, because obviously the cases in England are gone through the roof, where they had, had 88,000 cases yesterday. France have put a ban on UK nationals coming into their country on, unless there's a specific reason but anybody coming just for holidays they've put a, a complete ban on it and I know I think it was Portugal and there was another country as well are insisting that anyone travelling from the UK has to have a negative PCR R test what we're asking for if they're vaccinated we're asking for a negative professionally done antigen test so at least uh, are, if they're not vaccinated they need to get have a negative PCR test so the government will say they are trying to put things in place to make sure that anybody travelling from the UK but remember there will be a lot of people a lot of our loved ones will be heading home for Christmas from the UK as well that if you put a total ban on people from the UK coming to Ireland it would affect so many families I think if everybody does the right thing gets the test before they come and then once they arrive every single day they take their antigen test for five days that at least is going to add some level of protection Dan says Patricia thank you for your text Dan says surely Closing at 5pm, which is in fact a lockdown, should not apply to people who are double vaccinated or people indeed who've been boosted. 
where which is the vast majority of people and that's the vast majority of people who visit pubs and restaurants where you shouldn't be getting into a pub or restaurant without being vaccinated so what you're basically saying is never the wrong to suggest closing at five Mick says why blame the government they go on the advice of the health experts i.e. Neffet Sinn Féin are making a political football out of this people must remember they're in government in Northern Ireland and it's worse up there than it is here in the Republic uh, hi, Patricia. Oh, or, sorry, no. Well, let me go. Let me move to these ones. That's on a different topic. Um, Mike says, "Welcome back. Thank you." Uh, Patricia, has the media ever asked Neffet about its abysmal failure, which led us up the garden path into this shambles again? They opposed antigen testing at the beginning. They were against air fil- filtration. And where were the boosters in September and October? Zero accountability of Neffet so far. It's time their horns were pulled in. Closing down everything at 5pm in the evening is the highest brand of insanity that I've ever seen by any group of people in my life. It will make the greatest Christmas of house parties ever witnessed in this country. We all know where this is going to put us in the month of January. Thanking you and that's Michael in Castletown. Bear, stay safe, uh, Michael. And a bearer listener says, I think it should be compulsory to be vaccinated. I know people who are not vaccinated. They just think they're more intelligent than the rest of us. They should not be allowed to work or go into a shop unless they are vaccinated. At least with pubs and cafes and restaurants, when you go in, you feel safe. And then what do they do? They're going to close the pubs. What a joke, says this uh, listener in Beira. Nora says, welcome back, Patricia. And she's recommending vitamin D, C and zinc to help build up my immune system. I need to do something, Nora, for sure. Whatever happened, Nora, says to living with COVID. How many times do we have to do the same thing over and over again, i.e. lockdowns, before somebody steps up to the mark and says, hang on a tick, this simply is not working. There has to be a new approach. If 90% plus of the over 12 population are now vaccinated and only those with COVID certs to prove they're vaccinated are allowed into hospitality. Why are they even suggesting closing them? Nothing makes sense to me. Regards and happy Christmas and uh, many happy returns. That's from uh, Nora. And says, Patricia, at what stage are we going to learn to live with COVID? We've had Delta, now it's Omicron and God knows how many more variants are coming down the line. People's reserves are wearing very thin, says Anne. They are. And one of the big problems with new variants and new variants coming out of countries like South Africa where the Omicron uh, originated from. We need to start vaccinating people in the developing worlds and we're certainly not doing enough on that and that's even more than just individual countries donating supplies which they have been, some countries have been doing. We need big pharma to wake up and start smelling the roses and enough is enough on profits. I saw a dispatches programme on Pfizer and the amount of profits that Pfizer have made out of their vaccine and it is just immoral the amount of money they made this year and the amount of money I think it was 36 billion they made this year and they expect to make 55 billion next year and they are the company that won't share with the developing country the recipe for the vaccine and that's what they need to do because India there are factories in India who specialise in making vaccines and they can make vaccines like no the size and scale of these factories can make vaccines 
the numbers like nowhere else in the world. They're waiting to do it. They just need the recipe from Pfizer and Pfizer won't won't give it. And, and you know, when is when is enough profit enough? And when does the pharma... And remember, at the end of the day, all of those pharma companies and, I, you know, they come out and say, oh, well, we put a lot of money into developing the vaccines. I accept all of that. But they also got a huge amount of money from governments all over the world. All of the leading countries gave money to all of the pharma countries companies to help them develop the vaccines quicker. That's why there was no expense spared in designing the vaccine. So when is profit? When is enough enough? And if they don't do something soon, then Anne is right. We'll just have another variant and another variant and another variant. And will we, as somebody said in 10 years time, will we be sitting? I don't expect to be sitting in this chair in 10 years time, but will somebody else be sitting in this chair still talking about coronavirus? We need to vaccinate the world, we're not all safe until everyone is safe. And that there has to be a big, big move uh, on that. Uh, OK. Hi, Patricia. I'm tired from COVID. I'm actually worn out from it all like everybody else. But closing pubs at five, I feel is putting more lives at risk. Why? Because they leave at five. What will they do? They'll all pour into house parties, drinking and doing God knows what. Why? Because there's nobody there to control it. I am working up until the 23rd of December and it's only the full-time workers and hospitality sectors that will suffer. It is very, very unfair. Any ideas on on the numbers as to how man uh, I, sorry, I can't work out the end of that but it also says I have worked in the same where I'm working in the same job there are 50 plus positives gone down with the virus. It started about two weeks ago today and nothing has been done about it. It's not a cluster. This is a massive outbreak yet nothing has been done about it. There are a lot of clusters around. 1850 uh, 333103 Okay, just just a kind of a sample of the type of cause. A lot of them are similar. A lot of people are particularly worried about what happens if you close the pubs at five and this pushing everybody into house parties. That seems to be the big one that people are concerned about. If people want to go out, if people want to socialise, they will continue to do it. If they can't do it in a pub, then that's what they're going to do. They're going to end up doing it in a house instead. And it's unregulated. It's, yeah, and nobody's going to be checking uh, COVID certs. And thank you to the listener who was on about a doctor in Balancholic who is giving boosters. It's a Dr. John uh, Crowley. Uh, if you go on his Facebook page, there is a link on his Facebook page. Uh, and he's, he, he, the listener said he's asked people to please get out the details. So if anybody's in Balancholic, Balancholic and you want to check out Dr John Crowley he is giving out boosters I would check in with all of your local GPs because there has been a change to the way the boosters are being given out uh, to people with this big ramp up of the boosters check in with local pharmacies local pharmacies are certainly going to be uh, getting more and more boosters but also your local GP and if you may have checked with a GP who wasn't doing the boosters a lot of those GPs are coming on board now so I certainly would uh, check in and somebody says why can't you get a booster. I had COVID two months ago, says the Mitchellstown listener, and I've been refused a booster. You can't get a booster until you're six months post-COVID and the theory is that you have immunity because you, you're still recovering from COVID. You get about six months immunity if you've already had COVID. That's the science behind it. So that's the reason that they're saying to people not to get 
a booster until after the six month mark and obviously then it frees up boosters for other people and a listener is agreeing with one of our earlier texters who is going to be without a job hearing the news uh, this morning say I agree 100% with that listener certainly the hospitality sector has really been affected I got my hours for over the Christmas period where I am working I also work uh, evenings uh, so that means I will have no work if the five o'clock rule comes in today. Will I be going back on the pop payment? I'd rather not go back. I like to be independent. I like to earn my own money. The hospitality sector, as all hotels, as along with all hotels, look like they're closing for good and there'll be no more work for so many of us who have worked all of our lives in the hospitality sector. Yeah, it's so unfair. It's so unfair. Um, and it's heartbreaking to see people, you know, send in texts like that saying, you know, um, somebody was earlier saying, you know, in 20 years working in the hospitality sector, absolutely love my job and are fearful, absolutely fearful that they may have no job at all uh, next year, which is a really, really tough thing as we head into Christmas week. Your heart would have to go out to them. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. The Island River Play School, that's in Skibbereen. They're recruiting team members for full and part-time positions. You email your CV to Cora O'Donoghue, 2013 at gmail.com. Construction workers wanted for Cove. CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. A caretaker is required. It's for maintenance of sports grounds and buildings in the Blarney, Whitechurch, Grenada and Kilcully areas 083 303 5365 for further details. And early years educators, they're wanted for ABC childcare. They're based in Douglas. You email newapplicants001 at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. And by the way, John Paul has been keeping an eye on uh, social media, says that in the last 30 minutes or so, there a number of government TDs are tweeting they're opposed to the 5pm bar uh, closure. Remember, it is a full meeting of the cabinet so I don't know if these are backbench uh, TDs and how much say they will actually have Uh, but he's just noticed there's a flurry of them saying they're opposed to the 5pm bar closure so it isn't done and dusted yet we're going to have to wait for that full cabinet meeting and I'm assuming Micheál Martin to address the nation uh, later and just on a completely lighter note Nora in Bishopstown was on to say would you ever say a big shout out and congratulations to everybody in McCroom Town who's responsible for the Christmas lights this year Nora says I drove through McCroom at the weekend and it was like driving through a winter wonderland. It sounds gorgeous. Well done to everybody in McCroom. And can I say Mallow is looking very festive as well. Gorgeous Christmas lights uh, this year. And fair dues to the council and it's usually local chamber, chambers of commerce get involved as well. Just putting in an extra bit of an effort and God knows we need the extra bit of effort this year more than ever. Now, onto a completely different topic. Post-Brexit negotiations between the EU and the UK on fishing quotas for shared stock have stalled. The talks which began last month are designed to make sure Irish fishermen can fish for more catch. They should have concluded by December 10th, but unfortunately they're now stalled. With the local view, I'm joined by Patrick Murphy, who is CEO of the Irish South and West Fish Producer Organisation. Good morning to you, Patrick. 
Good morning, and Patricia, and you, welcome back. Oh, thank you very much. And you're very welcome to the programme. Isn't it fair to say that in order to get Brexit over the line, it was you and, and those in the fishing industry who were almost the sacrificial lamb? You were the ones who suffered the most. There's no doubts about that, um, Patricia. It, it, it isn't the rumour or a myth. It, it actually happened. And if the minister carries on with the plan to mitigate the damage, we will lose one third and a, a one third of our offshore fleet will have to be sacrificed. So you can imagine any industry in the country that we're told they'd have to give up one third of their activity and their business to pay for a Brexit deal. It would get a little bit more attention. That's under the decommissioning uh, scheme and that's not the first decommissioning scheme we've had. Sure it isn't? No, that's the third. Is it the third? God. Thank you, Patricia. If you put a a poll out to ask people how many boats would the island with the 29% of the waters of Europe have um, in comparison to the other fleets of Europe, we'd we'd be up there with the best of them, right? Yeah. But instead, we had 280 boats in 2006 and we'll be down to just over 100 now if this goes ahead. Wow, it's kind of reminiscent of what happened with the sugar industry and God knows we know where the sugar industry went and then in hindsight they say, oh, we made the wrong decision there. I mean, is that what we're going to look at in years to come? Are they going to look back and say, oh, we really shouldn't have done that? Well, I hope not. I hope they're going to look at it now and see we've learned. Yeah, now now is the time. Okay, what are the main stumbling blocks in these negotiations, do you know? Well, you see, the UK have sovereign rights over their waters and they're trying to enforce those rights is the best way to describe it you know and for political reasons not just for economic reasons and then you have an opposing side on the other side and when you put deadlines and everything and they're not met then of course you're going to have resistance but the problem is is when this happens in fisheries because everything is dependent on scientific advice if you can't go through that scientific advice and come up with an agreement that won't harm the stocks for the following year, then you follow the scientific advice. And people say that that's not a bad thing. But your show all morning is on discussing scientific advice and medical advice. And everybody has a different opinion. Mm-hmm. And it's the same for fisheries. So our scientists admit and they give three different amounts of fish that they can catch. So you have the lower range, the middle range, and the upper range. We always get the lower range, you know. So the precautionary approach is always taken. So even though they say if you could catch this fish on their own, you could catch double the amount, um, they don't do so. And we're going to have to follow that scientific advice now. So on top of that, there's massive cuts to the stocks. Cake, for instance, now we're down to just a couple of thousand tons of that fish for our entire fleet, you know, and... So does it make it almost impossible to make a living? But that's why we're decommissioning the boats, you see. They're saying that you're you're not giving up fish. Now, this is on the backdrop that other countries have five and six times the amount of fish we have to catch in our own waters. Like, you know, the, the, the common fishery policy needs to be reviewed. It has to be looked at again because the reason why it was drafted in the first place wasn't just on the sustainability of the stocks, but it was the sustainability of the countries who most depended on it. And we're an island nation and we have a tradition of fishing in this country and it's been taken away from us. And, and people we, don't understand that this yeah. is 
Billions. Billions. And, and I think that's the thing. It's, it's people who don't live near the sea don't fully understand what this what this means. But when you say, you know, the UK have a sovereign rights over their waters and you accept that. But what rights do we, the Irish, have over our waters? We're part of the Club of Europe and we're the smallest member of the Club of Europe. And this is the first time, in fairness to Minister McConnellogue, that he stood up at that table and said, no, I'm not accepting what you're offering in one particular species of fish. And that was mackerel. Is this, in the, nor- this, is this in the North Sea? This is a separate yes. issue. So to ex- no, it's not because it's all linked. So okay. we have blue whiting, a million tonnes of this fish in our waters. And everybody else wants to come and take that or when they move from our waters, they want to catch it when it moves. But it's predominantly ours because under Uniclass law, we'd be claiming the vast majority. We've 30,000 tonnes of that fish out of a million. So the, the Norwegians want to catch that fish as well because they use it to feed salmon. Um, if they don't have it, they're in trouble. So they swap. But they didn't swap the rights with us. They gave it to the Danish people. So they got the, the benefit of that swap. And the minister's trying to balance the books here. But just to explain this to the listener, how important fishing is to Ireland nation. So they're saying that for the last 40 years, the Danish are saying we had this fish. Mm. And it should have been Irish. That's what our minister's saying now. Well, people might be surprised to know that that's half a billion euros we've lost. Wow. In, in those years. You know, like that's a lot of that's money. That's a lot that of money. And at the end of the day, years. at the end of the day, Patrick, you just want a fair share of the fish in Irish waters. And that doesn't seem to me to be too much to ask. Exactly. When it's actually European law that it's built into the common fishery policy that the coastal states who most depend on it has to be looked after. So how can any European country say that a, a country, an island nation that's losing one third of its fleet, that that's looking after their coastal communities? And this is a trickle-down effect. It's not just affecting the larger boats. You see those lads, if they want to stay in fishing, will buy smaller boats. And that'll put pressure on the fellow below them because there's only enough there for them. There's a fine balance. So this is going to have huge replications right across the fishing industry. But not only that, it's going to be jobs ashore as well. If we lose this, we're talking about thousands of jobs being lost all around our uh, rural yeah. coastline. And, and those little com- all those communities that are dependent, there's a ripple effect to the, and a complete knock-on. You end up having uh, people not living in the area, so schools close, the knock-on is post offices close, shops close. It's, it's, it's a massive uh, knock-on. OK, so where are we at? When do you expect an agreement to be reached? So the agreement that's reached now is provisional for the next three months. Okay. And that has to be based on the scientific advice. That means we can't use the, the seasonality of the fisheries. In other words, that at the start of the year, if bad weather was there, you'd give a bit less or you'd give a bit more. No, we have to do it like accountants. So you try and make sure that there'll be fish throughout the year or that we don't go over our quota and we get punished. And we did that last year because of this, and we couldn't get the figures right. So we, we even though boats were being penalised for catching too much fish at a certain time of the year because we couldn't give it to them, you know, and the fish were on the ground and now they're being punished for it, we don't want to see the same mistakes happening again, Patricia, because we give out the fish uniquely in our country every month to the vessels, you know. And okay. it makes our job all the more difficult to follow the, the, the scientific advice that the scientists will admit 
have been ultra precautionary because they know that it'll be tweaked and up the bit, you know, mm. the way that the, to make it socially uh, viable for both right across Europe. Okay, listen, have a happy and a peaceful Christmas, Patrick. We'll talk and again, no doubt, in the new year. Because uh, we're a long way off getting this one sorted out. But thanks a million for joining us today. Anytime, Patricia. It's a God pleasure bless. as always. And, and hopefully a good Christmas to our listeners. And since we'll prevail on the other decisions that are being made um, and people will have a, a healthy um, mental uh, health-wise Christmas yeah, yeah. Um, and into the new year because that's really important for people as well too, you know. It can't be just about the physical it should be incorporated that the mental has to be looked after as well. It does indeed. And when you're doing your shopping list and planning your menus over Christmas, make sure you include fresh Irish fish on it. Nothing like it. Patrick, thanks for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. That is Patrick Murphy joining us, CEO of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation. And there was a text in, and let me give a mention, because there's so many texts coming in, I'd be afraid that I'll forget to mention it. Uh, Colm O'Sullivan from Irie's Village was on to say, if you're looking for a really nice positive day out. They have a big event planned for the village of Iris next next Sunday. And the weather forecast I think is quite good across the weekend. I think it's nice and dry and bright. They'll have Irish dancing, live music, open fire cooking. There is a kids treasure hunt which will go through the village of Iris. There'll be train rides for the kids. And I'm sure some of the big kids can get on the train as well. And there is a fundraising on behalf of Macron Firma. They're doing their tractor run. Do I take it they're decorating the tractors which has become big business in the last number of years but it's just going to be a wonderful uh, day out for everybody in Iries on uh, Sunday thanks to uh, Colm for sending that on to us it's uh, Iries Rock Cafe on Sunday 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie A nurse from Mwilin in North Cork, Pat McMahon, who has dedicated his life to saving mothers and children in Varanasi, which is one of India's most poverty-stricken regions, will embark on his final barefoot walk of the year next Monday morning. And to find out more, I'm delighted to say that Pat joins me on the programme. Good morning to you, Pat. Uh, good morning, Patricia, and oh. thanks, for, thanks for having me. Well, on. it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm just sorry because of COVID times. You normally have always been very good to come to studio, and you'd be sitting here in the studio with me, but unfortunately, with the restrictions, we have to do it over the phone. But listen, tell me your plans. You're going, you're doing yeah, bare, and, barefoot walk. And thank you, Patricia, because I think you, you've always shown a real interest in humanitarian issues and people that are that are so disadvantaged so I genuinely thank you for your for your compassion Well if we can help in any way Listen you're doing a barefoot walk to Dublin uh, this time round Tell me about your plans from Well it's from it's from Houston Station and from there I'll walk from there to the Salmon Memorial uh, in in, um, Austin's Quay in Dublin and then to Dáil Éireann and then make our way to uh, um, 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 the Aras, um to present our pledge. Um, basically, you know, I suppose we all know in Ireland now what an emergency situation could look like, you know, with COVID-19 and restrictions and lockdown. And the reality is that COVID-19 has had a detrimental impact on food security for, for some of the poorest people in our world. And 
so we've, we're we walking in solidarity with those people, but particularly we're asking people to sign a Right to Food pledge, um, and that pledge is on our website. And so rather than I suppose speaking about defeat itself, it's more about the issue of the Right to Food for, for people that are desperately poor. I watched your little video clip that you've put up on your Right to uh, Pledge uh, page, and it's quite stark. Like every, it's every four seconds. Every four seconds, um, somebody, somebody dies. dies of hunger. Every four uh, seconds. Every four seconds, and it's 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 so unimaginable for us to think that that this is happening, and that that we know what to do, and humanitarian response plans are there to be uh, to be um, fulfilled. But we have funding; we're only funding half of them. And just to put this into perspective, so the World Food Programme can feed a person for 20 cents, 20 cents a day, they can feed one person. And due to funding cuts, they, 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 they have to have the amount of food that they're giving. So instead of 20 cents, they're giving 10 cents worth of food. And that's how, how catastrophic and serious the situation is now. And I suppose the pledge is it's not just for Ireland, but for all wealthy donor countries to to ensure that these humanitarian response plans are fully funded. Like to put it into context, next year they estimate that 183 million people in our world will be in severe food insecurity and they will require humanitarian intervention. Um, and those interventions are only half funded. Does watching somebody die from hunger pass change you forever? Oh my God. <laughs> you never get over it. You actually never, when you emotionally feel and see this a human being dying of hunger, just of hunger. Like, even now as you say it, I'm, I'm, I'm in tears because you just don't, you cannot imagine such a wrong. And to imagine that that's happening every four seconds. And, and I think my call is very much for for the citizens, if we decide that these humanitarian response plans should be fully funded, it might cost, if for the Irish government to pay their share, for us to pay our share, it may mean that we have to give 0.1% of GDP extra. That's all, you know. It's a tiny, it's a, t- it's a tiny amount in the it's scheme. It's in, in the in the scheme of things. And how are things in Varanasi? I mean, I'm assuming because of COVID, have you been able to get out there? I haven't been out since COVID. No, I haven't. Uh, and are you in contact with your people on the oh, ground? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How are they doing? Yeah. I think for the first last year it was very tough. We really saw a difference in the nutrition status of women. Uh, that they were more malnourished. But to be honest, things have levelled out a little bit and things have got a little bit better. So, um, you know, I suppose when when you can provide the interventions that are required, it does have a huge impact. So I would say, like, the level of hunger that we're speaking about, you know, the, the level that level of hunger, extreme hunger, is happening, you know, in in places like Africa and that is extreme like people go regularly go a day or days without food there's a report in, about South Sudan and for me really hit home it, the survey showed that 
97% of mothers and fathers were eating less to give their children more. And I just felt that was such a human response that we can all understand. You know, your child is, that's your prior, you do anything for them. 97%. And even at that, it wasn't enough. You know, and you know, that, it's, it's in our DNA, Pat. We've, you know, our ancestors went through that during famine times. Uh, you know, we, you know, our forefathers know and knew what it was like to die of hunger and to do everything to try and keep your children alive. You know, when I, when I speak, I speak a lot to the old people, um, you know, about the work that we're doing around hunger. And they would genuinely, there'd be tears in their eyes because they understood they knew that reality is a living. We don't know, and we're we're you know, we're fortunate that we don't know that reality. But the old people did know that reality. Did know what it was like to be hungry, what it was like to you know what food insecurity was. Um, we thankfully, you know, we have we have gone left that that situation. But there's so many more now that are in it, and for such a small amount. So I suppose we're asking people to go onto our website and look at the pledge. Like, it is detailed because I want people to understand what you're signing. Mm. And it's, it's, a power, it's only a minute long, but it's, it's, it's a very powerful uh, little video. And it's uh, mothersfirst.net? Yeah, it's actually charity.org. org, and you'll see uh, the right to a food pledge. And the significance, Pat, of walking barefoot. Why do you do that? I think to show, you know, it's like the hardship people are experiencing and there is people in our world, just like there was in Ireland, who didn't have, who don't have money for shoes. You know, who literally, that, that, that's the point that it's at. So it's kind of recognising our privilege barefoot because I'm choosing to walk barefoot. Um, I don't have to. There's many people in extreme poverty who have no choice. So it's recognising that. And for me, it's like it's my choice and my privilege to be able to, to do this. And, you know, I suppose try and garner a little bit of media attention because unless we start talking about extreme hunger, and I know people don't want to, to hear it. But like you said, Patricia, in Ireland in particular, we have a real empathy with people, mm. a real understanding with what hunger is. And, you know, it's like even look back in 1984 in Ethiopia, Ireland was one of the poorest countries in Europe at that time. And we gave the most. Head we gave the most. We gave the most. Uh, I know, Bob Gelder, very, very proud of that uh, statue. You're an incredible human being. We wish you good luck with your walk, Pat, and continued good luck with your amazing work that you do in Varanasi. Just, Mothers one, for, just yeah. one final thing. Yeah. If there's any, you know, a lot of refugees uh, here in Ireland, they're coming from these countries. Um so if there's any people who would like to get in contact and see if they would like to support us, any from the re- anybody that's listening, but particularly people who are in the refugee community that might be listening to this, um, to get in contact with us through mothersfirstcharity.org, because we'd love okay. to hear from you. And, okay. And, uh, 
and get and get their get their stories as, uh, as yeah, well. It's so important. Absolutely. Pat, have a happy Christmas and look after and yourself. You too, and thank you. Thanks for, for joining us. Bye bye, bye bye. That is it. He's truly uh, inspirational. That is Pat McMahon, a nurse from Mwilin, uh, but he runs Mothers First Charity Please go on and just look at his right to food pledge. Just a little one minute video that just captures the essence of what the pledge is all about. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Your thoughts coming in on WhatsApp. Hi Patricia. Read the proposed lockdown by Neffet. I believe the issues are being caused by a very minority of traders. I suggest they should be monitored and closed down if they don't comply with regulations. For example, I visited a friend in hospital recently. I had to have my temperature taken on arrival at the hospital. I had to produce my COVID certificate. If the same was done in all, in each and every hospitality sector, every pub, every restaurant, it would sort out a lot of the problems. So your point being there are other ways of doing it rather than going for closing the pubs at five or going for a lockdown. Thank you for that. Somebody else says, sorry now, but why close the pubs at five? If that's the case, surely they need to close every supermarket, every chemist, every factory, every business, every work space. It's a disgrace that they're doing it a week before Christmas. The government must have been planning all this and the health uh, people in Hikwa and the health must have been planning all this along with along with Neffet I'm assuming is what you mean there people need to stand up to this government so not everyone is in favour for uh, sure and just somebody else has sent in a text saying Patricia is there any hope of tracking down an address for the wonderful Vicky Phelan and the wonderful Charlie Bird God knows didn't when we all stopped in our tracks watching Charlie Bird on the late late I don't have an address for either but I would suggest with Charlie Bird you could possibly send something to RTE in Dublin and they certainly would redirect it. Having said that, I was looking on Twitter and Charlie Bird has been absolutely blown away and uplifted, I think, by the response to his interview on The Late Late. And uh, it's just, it's it's joyful to see him getting such a lift from the outpouring of love and support via social media. Are people sending cards and letters to him? And I saw during the week that he tweeted a photograph saying, well done to Ampost and what a great organisation they are. Somebody had sent him, obviously, you know, a, a get well card or a note just to say that they were thinking of him. And the address they wrote was Charlie Bird. Everyone in the nation knows who he is. County Wicklow. <laughs> that particular card got to Charlie Bird. We have wonderful, wonderful postmen and women in this country. We, we really have. So I don't know if anybody, but as I say, I think with Charlie Bird, if it's in RT, Vicky Phelan is in somewhere in County Limerick, isn't she? Does anybody have an address for Vicky Phelan? Obviously, somebody wants to send them cards. Uh, if so, let us know and I certainly will pass it on to this listener. Now, the reason I wanted to do that to just to wrap up on some of the WhatsApps that are in all of this week while I've been out poorly and John Paul has been filling in for me. He's been giving away tickets to Riverdance. This is thanks to our great friends at Aiken Promotions. You can see Riverdance live at the Marquee next year. It's June 2nd, June 3rd, June 4th and June 5th. So five performances of Riverdance. And if you have never seen Riverdance before, it will make the hair stand up in the back of your neck. It's the most amazing show and if like me you've seen it before you'll want to go back and see it again and again it truly truly is a wonderful show uh, to go and see. We have got the final pair of tickets to give away now here on C103. What I need you to do is if you would like to take part in this competition I need you now to text our WhatsApp your name and address. That's all. Just your name and address. Text it in to us. John Paul then will randomly select one of our listeners who will join me on air. I have two questions in front of me. One is a river-based 
question, which can I say is a particularly easy question, especially if you're from North Cork. And the second is a dance question, which is, I think, particularly easy as well. Because if you're a lover of kind of any movies that had anything to do with dancing, then you, you'll know exactly the movie I'm talking about. So I think they're two very easy questions. Anyway, the choice will be yours. I'll ask you either a river question or a dance question. If you get it correct, guess what? You will win our final pair of tickets to go along and see River Dance live at the Marquee for next year, June 2nd, 3rd, 4th and uh, uh, 5th. Okay, so get texting or WhatsApping if you'd like to go along to see Riverdance next year please 18 or it's not 1850 it's 0862103103 get working on that please and while we're waiting on those texts to come in let me take a look at some other thoughts and comments uh, coming in listener says Patricia uh, glad that you're well thank you very much Uh, do people still have to wait for their age cohort for the booster or are we now at a free for all we're not at a free for all yet we're still at people over 50 we're still at healthcare workers medically vulnerable all ages are eligible for uh, a booster an additional dose Pregnant women are eligible from this weekend and obviously all residents of nursing homes and long-term care facilities are entitled to a booster if they haven't already had it at this stage. And the HSE, they are still planning on having 1.5 million doses given out by Christmas. It is, you will be able to register, I think, from next week if you're in the 40 to 49 age group and it'll be from the 27th of December that they'll start administering those. But I tell you what, because we're getting so many questions in about the booster jab, Peter Weedle of Weedle's Pharmacy in Mallow did a great piece with us a number of weeks ago. We had a huge reaction about the boosters and vaccination and we've put a call through to Peter and he's going to make himself available to us on Monday and he'll be as updated because as he says himself, it's changing all of the time. So what I'm saying to you now could be completely different on Monday morning. So if you've got any question to do with the booster jab, we'll have Peter Weedle join us on the programme who is doing mighty work, can I say, in their their vaccination centre at Weedle's Chemist in Mallow. Along with a lot of other pharmacies who really have been doing uh, risen above and beyond the call of duty I think they've been they need to be called out for the great great service that they have been offering to people so anyone who has a question to do with Booster tune in on Monday morning and we'll certainly have more for you then Hi Patricia this is from Nora I think the government should go with Neffet and close everything at 5pm They need to do it until at least the hospital cases start to come down. So there are people in favour. Not everyone, I have to say, judging by the cause and comments coming in here. We have the bulk of people who are not really in favour of the closure at five o'clock as we await. The Cabinet subcommittee has been pushed forward a little bit. And I saw actually, when News at 12 was on, I was doing a quick look through uh, Twitter, just update on what's, because there's so many tweets coming out about what's happening in uh, Dublin. And Catherine Martin has been invited to the Cabinet Subcommittee meeting. She doesn't normally attend that, so I think that's quite telling in itself as to what way they're thinking at the moment. But we'll we'll wait and see. Subcommittee has to meet first, then they make a recommendation, which is then taken to full Cabinet, then the full Cabinet sign off on whatever decision. And then we will expect Micheál Martin to either address the nation or to have some kind of a press conference. Mavis says... uh, Good afternoon to you, Mavis. By text, why can't people accept that socialising 
where when there is such an infectious virus about is simply a no-go area. We'd all love to see more people. We'd all love to get back to normality. Mavis says, we haven't seen our family since January of 2020. I agree with the person earlier who was on about the, va- va- the need to vaccinate those in third world countries. This is where help is so badly needed. In this part of the world, a large majority of people have their jabs and even have their boosters. Some of the people in the third world countries haven't even been given a first jab yet, says Mavis. And Mavis, can I add that that even includes healthcare workers in some developing countries who are at the cold face of dealing with COVID, uh, risking their lives every day and they haven't been jabbed either. The world needs to really wake up uh, to uh, this one. Somebody says we need to shut the ports and the airports first. Uh, that's the only way to do it. There's n- absolutely no plans, certainly for that to happen. Hi Patricia, what a joke, closing pubs at 5pm. How do you go to a pub at two in the afternoon. Did Neffet visit any country pub lately? Well, I have, says this texter. I was out in my local last night. There was five of us in the pub, plus one bar staff, six in total. This is not going to stop COVID by closing the bars at 5pm. I passed a secondary school and there wasn't a face mask in uh, sight. And by the way, I have three injections in me. I've had my uh, booster. 1850 I lead in says we are living with COVID now for nearly two years and still no plan in place. All we hear is restrictions and more restrictions. We need to learn to live with it and our government need a plan. I never thought, Patricia, I would say this, but I heard Ned O'Keefe on your programme last week and for once uh, I agree with what he said. The lack of leadership is just astounding in this country. Tim said, go back 12 months ago, we listened to, we need to open up, we need to give people the chance to have a meaningful Christmas. Well, Look where that got us. We know what happened there. And here we are today uh, with reports coming in from Neffet, medical advice. And you've got people saying to the government, leave everything open. Then what will happen? The beep, beep, beep will hit the fan in the new year and everyone will be back blaming the government and criticising them, saying, should they left everything open? They can't do right for doing wrong. Mike in Skibbereen says it's scandalous to think that they've recommended the closure 5pm. What is the reason for it? The virus doesn't stop at 5pm in the evening. John and Mallow says at this stage there'll be a revolution. Neffert seem to be obsessed with hospitality. Think of the jobs that will be affected. Are we the only country closing bars at 5pm? Guess what will happen? They'll all head back into a house party. Irene says when they closed the nightclubs and the bars earlier, what happened in our estate? How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Guess what, says Irene? The house parties started back up again. When the nightclubs were open, there wasn't any house parties. I now dread Christmas as I know what's going to happen. The bars will close. We won't get a wink of sleep. And all these parties are completely unregulated. Mary in Charleville says her son said to her in early December, wait for this. They'll wait for everyone to spend their money and then they'll shut everything down near Christmas. That is exactly what is uh, happening. And Nora in, no, I did that one, John in White's Cross when I spoke about Pfizer and Pfizer need to share the recipe for the vaccine with the developing countries. John says at the end of the day, Pfizer is a private company and for all companies like that, it's all about the dollar. They won't hand over anything. They need to make money for their shareholders. If they started handing out the recipe for the vaccine to other countries or other companies, they won't do it because it's like Coca-Cola handing over their recipe to a competitor. Now, you see, I disagree with that. I completely disagree with that because for Pfizer, this is one particular vaccine they make. Look at all the other vaccines they, they make. Isn't Pfizer one of the companies that's actually making something that can help you get over COVID if you do get COVID? So I completely disagree with you, John. There is a moral reason why Pfizer needs to share the information they have with the developing world. And it's nothing like uh, Coca-Cola. That is completely, you cannot compare a vaccine that can save people's lives with the recipe for Coca-Cola. Sorry, I completely disagree with you. And somebody says this is doing the rounds on uh, Twitter at the moment. It says if Irish pubs close at 5pm over Christmas, this is how things will go. Out at 12 midday, nice by 5pm, up to Joe's for six. A quick visit to Paul's at 10 and then we'll have a nightcap in Liam's at midnight. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie Mallow Meals on Wheels. They're a great bunch of people. They've been on to say they'll be delivering right throughout the Christmas season, including 
Christmas Day, St Stephen's Day and all public and bank holidays between December 20th and January 3rd. Normal Monday to Friday deliveries will resume then on Tuesday the 4th of January. Drive-in bingo in the Creamery Yard in Kildowery. That's on tonight. Starts at 8. While the Christmas taste of Bandham, they'll celebrate the newly reopened pedestrian precinct with the Sus4 Jazz Quartet. Quartet. That's on tomorrow, Saturday. The Glassling Choir with Linda Kenny will give a children's performance of the magic of a Christmas concert. That's at 3pm at Bridge Place in Bandon. And Bandon Art Club will have their 2022 calendar for sale at the Farmer's Market tomorrow, Saturday. And calendars are available also in local outlets. And call more Ella. The Mallow Community Choir. There'll be carol singing. Oh, how wonderful. Outside the Town Hall in Mallow tomorrow, Saturday, between 3 and 4 p.m., with all donations going to local charities. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. You can stop texting and WhatsApping for our River Dance uh, tickets. Uh, because Riverdance is going to be live at the Marquee on 2nd, 3rd, 4th and 5th of June next year. And it'll go in the blink of an eye. Wait and uh, see. The months are rolling by. This has been probably one of the quickest years I have ever seen in my life. And if you ask me what I did this year, I could tell you, I couldn't think of any, anything that I actually did. Anyway, Riverdance is definitely on the diary for next year. And we have Caroline Carney, who is in Ballyhay, uh, just outside of Charleville. Good afternoon to you, Caroline. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. Have you ever seen Riverdance before? No, never. No. Oh, it's my w- first time. You would have seen it on the TV, the little clips of it on the on the the little bit that they always show yes. from the Eurovision. But you know, the full show is spectacular. Okay, in order to get you to River Dance, so you have to answer a question. Okay, I've got a river question and I have a dance question. I think yeah. they're both pretty easy. What would you like to go for? Um, I'll go for the river, please. The please. river question. Okay, it's got a North Cork theme to it. We want to know what river flows through the town of Formoy? Um, Blackwater. It is the Blackwater. Well done. You've won a pair of tickets. You'll be heading off to the uh, Marquee. Do you know who you'll bring with you, Caroline? Yeah, my daughter, Kate. She loves, she's nice. She loves Riverdance. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, is, she, is Kate at school today? Yes, yeah, she's in school today, so I'll tell her now. She, yeah. Oh, what a wonderful surprise. Are you all organised for Christmas? Yeah, getting there now. Yeah. Good on you. Listen, enjoy and enjoy Riverdance next year, okay? Okay, thanks. Congratulations. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Caroline Carney, Ballyhay in Charleville, our latest winner on C103. And thanks to the gang, by the way, at Aiken Promotion for giving us those tickets. We've been giving them away all uh, week. You can uh, book for live at the Marquee. Uh, as I say, it's uh, there's four dates. 2nd, 3rd, 4th and 5th of uh, June. 1850 Where am I going? Oh yeah. The Cork Airport. They are going to welcome around 60,000 passengers this uh, Christmas. And our reporter Mairead Tuig paid a visit to the airport ahead of the homecomings. Merry Christmas 
Cork Airport will welcome around 60,000 passengers this Christmas. This is down 40% compared to December 2019, but an increase on the near 9,000 passengers who flew in and out of Cork Airport throughout the month last year. Group Head of Communications with the DAA's Kevin Cullnan. I suppose it's the first Christmas in three where people have felt comfortable booking flights at the end of, last, uh, end of this summer to reunite with family and friends this Christmas. And obviously situation as it prevails with COVID at the moment is a slight concern whether people will still travel or not and that, that's obviously something we're keeping a, a very close eye on with, with the various airlines that operate in and out of Cork. This coming Sunday is forecasted to be the busiest day for arrivals and departures over the festive season while the busiest day for departures post-Christmas is Sunday January 2nd. Everyone travelling coming home this Christmas um, will be you know have a, have a negative COVID test which is reassuring for everyone else on the flight that they've gone through that, that testing but we just love seeing people reunite and seeing families reunite and reconnect uh, here at the airport so hopefully there'll be many more of those scenes in the, the days and nights ahead Many people travelling during the festive period will be bringing gifts in their luggage. Kevin has this advice Well one handy tip is to consider using a gift bag rather than wrapping the presents just in case there's any sharp objects within the gifts or something pops up on the x-ray machine The last thing you want is have a a security officer having to ask you here in Cork or at another airport to actually unwrap the present. So a gift bag is a great idea initially. Um, Christmas crackers are okay once there's no sharp objects within them. And the other thing that occasionally uh, catches people out are snow globes, which obviously are, are full of liquid and, and because they're they're breakable, um, we encourage people not, not to bring them in their, their carry-on luggage to the airport. Cork Airport will be closed on Christmas Day. This is to allow a very special visitor to land. Christmas Day is the only day of the year um, the airport is closed and there's a very important reason that obviously we have to clear air traffic for, for Santa Claus so that uh, he has an absolutely uh, clear sky um, right from the North Pole over Irish airspace and on into Europe. So uh, that's very important that we don't have any flights operating in and out of Cork Airport on Christmas Day. Santa Claus is coming to town. And COVID or not, Santa Claus is definitely coming to town. Thanks to Maureen Tuig for paying that visit to Cork Airport this weekend. There's something really magical about being at the airport in the days leading up to Christmas when loved ones are arriving home. I think it's going to be even more special this year because so many didn't get home last year and for a lot of people who will be travelling they haven't seen loved ones for nearly two years. All we can do is wish them all a happy and a safe Christmas. God knows that is what it's all about. It's trying to give everybody a safe Christmas. And thank you to, I don't have any name on this listener who has been texting us now for months upon months upon months her daughter became very unwell with COVID and ended up in ICU ended up on uh, in being ventilated at one stage it was touch and go at one stage she didn't think her daughter was going to make it and then there's been a slow slow recovery and every now and again she'll just send in a text just to say how her daughter is doing you know she was still in hospital so thrilled in the middle of all of the river dance texts didn't I spot a text to say just to let you know my daughter came home on Monday all is good isn't that such great news what a wonderful Christmas present you have received and we wish nothing but uh, love and luck and good health to your daughter and to you as the mammy because I know how worried you have been that's a tough thing to watch a much loved daughter and you can't even get into an ICU unit to see them it's tough tough going but like that just shows how serious this whole coronavirus 
virus is and uh, how we, we just can't be complacent when it comes to COVID-19. And Mary says this is on the pubs closing. My son doesn't open his pub until 8 o'clock Thursday to Saturday. What, what, what they're planning on doing to him is going to be a nightmare. I know the government are doing their best. This pandemic is just so unpredictable, says Mary. Yeah, and how right you are. And someone else is making kind of a similar point. Karen and Tala says, Patricia... What we are not getting is that this government are as ignorant about this virus as all the rest of us are. They have not been through this before. It's the first pandemic in a hundred years. They're doing their best to try to protect all of us. It is trial and error. And it's up to all of us as individuals to protect ourselves, says Karen in Tallow. That's the whole thing. This, it's the virus. It's, it's just so unpredictable. And they can do everything and decide this is the way we're going to go. And then suddenly in a week's time, something changes and we're back to square one again because that's what happened with, with Omicron. I mean, I saw Paul Reid of the HSC saying, you know, every time they think we're finally getting on top of it, everything's going according to plan. It looks like life can come back to some kind of normality. A new variant will spring up. And that's the way it's it's going to be until we see an end to the pandemic. And we'll only see an end to the pandemic when we vaccinate the entire uh, world or get it out to as many people across the world as possible. 1850-333-103. Going to take a break. We're back talking movies with Mark Malone. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, uh, joining me on this Friday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Okay, you watched two movies this week. First, Halloween Kills and Deadly Cuts. Let's start with the trailer of Halloween Kills. Michael Myers survived that fire. After what he's done to my family, I will kill him. Tonight we hunt him down. Oh, evil dies tonight. Evil dies tonight. I'm coming for you, Michael. You want your mask? Come and get it! Now this is uh, ja- just in time this for Christmas. Is, this is Jamie the uh, <laughs> Curtis and the old Halloween movie. This is kind of a follow-up to that. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's a bit of trivia. So for you, how many Halloween films have there been? Oh, uh, three. Twelve. Oh, that's... this is the this is the twelfth. Oh, now, I've seen the first two. I'm 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 old enough to have seen the first two in the cinema and I enjoy them because I love John Carpenter and I thought they were really kind of entertaining. And then a couple of years, and then it, it, over the subsequent years, there have been quite a few of them. I haven't watched any of them, I have to admit, because I had no interest in watching them. A couple of years ago, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis came back and she decided that uh, she would kind of make uh, remake a, a Halloween film. And it turned out to be really, really successful. And uh, I think it caught everybody by surprise. And that was kind of a nice, satisfying ending to the film. The film did really well. Obviously, the people who made the film you know, thought, oh, we, we have a chance of making money here. All of a sudden, it went from being just kind of a standalone film to all of a sudden being the first of a trilogy. So this is the second part of the trilogy. And so if you think about it for a second, um, if Michael Myers... <laughs> Now, she does reference it there uh, at the very, very start of uh, the uh, the trailer there that Michael Myers died in a fire yeah. at the end of the last film. So obviously, you know, he is the star of the movie, let's face it. So therefore, if it's the second part of a trilogy, then we know he's going to be in the third film. So therefore, you've got to ask yourself, then why bother? 
Um, and that's the question I asked coming into this film. And I thought, am I going to even bother watching this? So therefore, what kind of story can they possibly tell? And so basically what it is, is just an hour and a half of just sheer kind of mayhem. Michael Myers just killing people. And that's pretty much uh, what it is. The other bit of... Um, trivia i was going to ask you you've seen the photograph of uh, michael myers you see what he looks like yeah and you see he's got a mask on yeah now who does the mask represent a very very famous actor oh uh, jack nicholson it's william shatner Oh. It's a William Shatner mask. Yeah, because um, back in 78, 79, when they first made the film, they were looking for a mask for him. Yeah. And uh, John Carpenter was in a shop. He sees this mask and it's a William Shatner mask. So all, all these years, <laughs> Michael Myers has been killing people as Captain James T. Kirk. Oh, Actually, if you, you do look do at the that? mask, you do recognize yeah, uh, the now features that, Yeah, now that I'm Shatner. looking at it, I can see it now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the thing is that, yeah, so here we have, look, the thing about technology, I suppose, I watched the very first uh, um, Halloween again about five years ago and it's amazing how with technology how nowadays they can find the most inventive ways to kill people and they've done that here as well if I was kind of anything kind of positive to say about the film is that they do come up with some extraordinary ways these days and it takes a bit of kind of thought and a bit of kind of preparation to try and kill people in kind of very very different and interesting ways and they've done that here but that's about pretty much all I can really say that uh, is really positive about it because really the, 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 the pity about the film is that because it's the middle of a of a of a of a, a three kind of parter it basically just is about just kind of carnage and that's all really that has got going for it which is a terrible pity now you know when it happens it's kind of entertaining i wasn't particularly frightened so a lot depends here on how you kind of view horror um i'm not particularly um kind of frightened by gore but i do like a good thriller i do like you know where the hair stand up in the back of your neck and that didn't happen here i wasn't frightened in any way shape or form when watching the film but i on many an occasion i was turned off by what i was watching because of the gore and the blood which is not something i'm particularly interested in but obviously for people who do love that kind of thing well this is the film for you the other pity that um, the other thing i had a problem with is that you know jamie lee curtis was very much kind of the star of the previous film and she was back again and you know she's always great to watch mm. on screen and she's very much kind of in, uh, on the sidelines here. We don't see her enough. You spend the whole film going, give me more Jamie Lee, give me more Jamie Lee. And unfortunately, we don't see enough of her. Um, and I don't, I don't know if they're leading up maybe to the third film. Maybe she'll have a bigger part. And let's hope she does. So what I'll say to you, to people, look, for horror fans who like your gore, who like watching people getting killed, well, this is for you. Um, if you like a, a good, scary film, I've referenced kind of this before, The Woman in Black, I think it was called, with uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Now, that's a scary film film that that frightened the BJPs out of me uh, this didn't but it did turn me off quite often when was the first Halloween that was back in the 70s wasn't it I think it was around 78 79 was yeah goodness me goodness me okay Mark Halloween kills out of 10 um, I'll give it about a 5 5 maybe. and I suppose what next year the year after we'll wait for the for the final I think it's sometime next year. Yeah, Is I think they, I think they're pretty. I think they made them together, so we we'll see it pretty early. Okay. Now your next one is Deadly Cuts. What have we got going on? Which here? again. Well, again, you'd kind of think with a name like that, that it would be a horror movie, <laughs> but it's not a horror movie. It's it's anything but, really. Well, there are kind of horror elements to it. The cuts actually kind of refer to a um, to hairdressing. Uh, this is an Irish film. Uh, this is produced by O'Sullivan Productions. Do you remember Morgan O'Sullivan? Why does that name ring a bell? 
He was a he was a kind of a radio presenter back in the oh, late seventies, early eighties. I do, I do, I do. Uh, yeah, he was a he was a, he was a brilliant um, he was a brilliant broadcaster, and I always remember he used to have a show on Saturday or Sunday mornings where he used to interview people like Bob Hope and Lucille Ball. Yeah, and I used to be really excited by that, and I think, what kind of a life does this man lead? And over the years, of course, he has produced a lot of films. He's been involved in the films like Angela's Ashes and 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 many more. So he's producer here. Uh, this is written and directed by Rachel. K- Carey. And it's a film, it's an Irish film. It's set in kind of working class Dublin. Uh, It's set in a hairdresser's in a part of Dublin that is very, very rough. Unfortunately, you know, gangs are basically kind of terrorising the whole area. Um, They are extorting money out of businesses. They're trying to extort money out of Angeline Ball, who uh, is the star of this film here, who still looks exactly the same as she did in the the commitments 30 years ago. And they try and extort money from her as well, but she's not having any of it and the leader of the kind of gangs that are terrorizing the area comes into the shop one day and starts threatening the girls and they respond and and they kill him accidentally by the way i should point out but they do kill him so then they've got to kind of dispose of the body now if you think well okay i'll give it a spoiler there it is in the trailer very very early on and so therefore the film then is kind of been portrayed as very much this kind of um, this kind of vigilante kind of film, where they basically kind of this, the, the the members of the hair salon kind of fight back uh, against uh, the uh, thugs that kind of ruin and and um, and destroy their area. With the leader of the thugs out of the way, the area in fact does become better. And so because of that, and because people's lives are better because he is out of the way, they do begin to feel better about themselves and and uh, you know feel less guilty uh, about uh, what they've done. Um, there's two other kind of stories intermingling with that as well. Uh, developers want to come in and they want to destroy the uh, hairdressing salon because they want to build um, build apartments. So they've got to fight against that as well, as well as uh, an upcoming hairdressing competition, which uh, Angeline Ball wants to become uh, involved in. She's had some history in the competition in the past, and she's done really, really quite well uh, in it. And there she kind of restores her kind of um, this kind of, uh, this competition um, that she has with Victoria Smurfett, who comes from the other side of Dublin's tracks, very, very kind of middle class and upper class kind of um, section of society. And so there's that kind of class battle as well uh, in between all of the other mayhem that happens. Um, the interesting thing is that the film is kind of really in two halves. And in the first half, it's that kind of socioeconomic kind of thing and uh, and also the, the dealing with the kind of drug dealers, uh, which Angeline Ball has got to deal with. And there, the film is actually kind of, uh, it's got a lot of kind of dark humour. And then halfway through, it basically kind of turns into Zoolander. And the film is really about the hairdressing competition. And I think that's, for me, where it kind of lost me, really. If, one of the criticisms of the film is that it's really, really over the top. And I think that's true. And I think that's a shame. I, I'd like to have seen more about our fight against the kind of seedier side of Dublin, which I think would have been kind of much more interesting. Um, you know, there are times when the, the, the computer is, that the, 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 um, the, the comedy is over the top. The performances are, are over the top. But it's still really, really entertaining because it's something we don't really, really see um, on our screens, screens very much. Uh, all the women uh, are terrific in the movie. Uh, Erica Rowe is one of the stars. She's, she is the bulb of Alicia Silverstone. She looks exactly like her. Angelique Ball's in it. Again, your mate, Pauline McGlynn is in it and many others. So it's it's great to see these women on screen. Brilliant. They're all great. The performances are great. And the director does a really, really good job. I mean, Rachel Carey, I want to see more from her.
Actually, I've been watching a program on TV with uh, Angelina Ball, uh, Hidden Assets. She's a, she plays a detective with Cab in it, and she's really good. And uh, you're right; that woman is wearing extremely well. She looks fantastic. When you think how uh, long does, ago yeah. it was that she was in the commitments, would have been her first back in as Imelda back in 1991. So, she, so she's doing well. Okay, Deadly Cuts, marking out of ten. Um, I, I think I think you, if for example, would if watch yeah. that, I think you would love it. I really do. Uh, from my point of view, I was as I say, I was kind of disappointed um, the, the the direction it took when it became Zoolander, basically, and I thought that was a bit of a shame. But uh, but that I thought it was really entertaining. I give it a seven. Uh, solid seven out of ten. All right, thanks for yeah. that. You're back with us for our final one next week. Where you're going to take a look at some suggestions for movies that are on the TV over Christmas for us to watch. I will do that. Okay, look forward to it, Mark. Thank you for that. Have a good week. Thank that you. is uh, Mark Malone, our movie review. Beautiful senator jointly opposing the NEFA recommendations have spoken the last few minutes they feel bars and restaurants are safer than house parties and that's what this decision will lead to we wait to see what happens this afternoon that's what I leave you for today Nick is with you for the afternoon thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing we're back with you Monday morning for the first one of the week on Christmas week talk to you Monday at 10 Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice? you know who to talk to cmig.ie planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.